Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, as we come tonight, Father, we believe that you are with us. Father, you guide us. When we look into your word, you speak to us. Father, you transform and change us and renew our mind. Father, we might be able to do that good, perfect, acceptable will of God. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, tonight, Father, that we will be uh, just open, giving clarity of mind, articulation of speech, boldness of spirit. Father, each one here having ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to do your word. And we thank you for that. We ask it all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, you know, today we have uh, a, lot, a lot of talk about, you know, we're a postmodern, relativistic, syncretistic type of culture. Relativism means there's no right or wrong. It's all relative to the situation. And, you know, if it's, uh, you know, go ahead and kill a baby in the womb because you may not have enough money and you might not be able to do a good job taking care of it. So they find that to be a higher ethic but God says, Don't mur- thou shalt not murder. But they can always finagle and figure out a way with relativism to figure out a justification and feel almost moral about it. And it's just amazing how uh, that has happened. And then, you know, post-modernity, it, it's, we're, we're in an era now where there's a rejection of a lot of the things that came in the industrial era and through the age, you know, of enlightenment and, and all these things. Uh, where the, you know, science and, and kind of the intellectual mind now trumps spiritual truth. Syncretism is a mixing of all kinds of things together. Syncretism is throwing in a little bit of Buddhism, throwing in a little bit of, uh, you know, Islam, a little bit of Christianity, a little Judaism, uh, a little bit of Hinduism. Throw it all in the pot, stir it all up, and and think, well, I'm smart enough to pull out uh, the best parts, and I'll, I'll pick and choose a little here and there, and, I, and I'll just make my own belief system, my own religion up. And, uh, you know, and don't anybody, but, and, and probably the, the cardinal sin is this, and, and, you know, young people worship social justice and, and justice, and, and, and my right's just as right as your right. And who are you to judge my right and say it's wrong and your right is right? Everybody's right is the same. And everybody's the same. And social justice says everybody's just as right as the next guy. And nobody has a right to judge anybody. How many of you notice that, that mentality of social justice today? And that's social justice. That's socialism. That, that's, which is a, it's a, it's a subtle form of antichristism. And people are not receptive because of it. And you can't tell anybody anything because you're a big bigot. and You're shoving it down their throat. And who are you? And who do you think you are? And my, I'm just as right about anything I want to be right about. Because it's all just relative anyway. And, and what's good for me and what's good for you may be two different things. So don't try to shove yours down my throat. But see, that is the most damaging mentality that's taking us into a, into a fantasy, surreal, vulnerable state of thinking where there's no truth. And my Bible says, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Amen. My Bible says, you better love truth. You know, above everything, you need to love truth. Because you'll be turned over to a lie and a delusion. You know, there are some people who love believing a lie. Dr. Mark Majors told me, he said he knew a man who was schizophrenic for 40 years. And they, he, this man confessed to him. He says, I remember the day that I chose to start believing the lies. 
And that's when he became schizophrenic and was never the same again and lost his mind, lost control of his mind. The day that you choose to believe lies, you will lose control and you will be given over to a reprobate mind. And a lot of people are choosing to believe the lies. You better guard your heart and you better guard truth that's in your heart like nothing you've ever guarded before in the day that we're living in. It's a dangerous time to be alive in the realm of thought and ideology and different uh, things that are in our world. Christianity is under an assault like never before. And so today I'm going to talk about how good am I at receiving and in particularly receiving truth. How good are you at receiving? Receiving is a, is a intentional activity that you've got to cultivate and choose to do. Receiving correctly, you know, laying yourself and leaving yourself open for anything and everything that comes along to insert itself in your mind is a very dangerous thing. And receiving the truth is being willing to say no to certain things. Can I get an amen? Truth has a lot of no's to it. You know, I, I was like, you know, in math it was, uh, you know, two plus two is equal four. Two plus three does not equal, or line through the equal sign does not equal four. There's a lot of does not equals in this world. There's a lot of not trues in this world as well as trues. But how good are you receiving? James one twenty one. it says receive, everybody say receive, with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. Meekness is humility, it's, it's, uh, it's a teachability, uh, it's, it's a whole attitude about being open to God's word forming your thought life. Teachability, meekness, openness to God, uh, moldability is, is one of the definitions, is really being molded and allowing God to transform you through the difficult things, through the hard things. How many of you know that all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose? All things can work together for good. Oh, but you know what? The, the, the fact of the matter is not everything does work together for good because all kinds of people go to hell every day. Well, pa- Pastor, you just, said, you just read the scripture. Well, there's some contingencies on that scripture. Romans 8, 26, it says, if you will pray... For we know how to praise what, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with the groanings which cannot be uttered. And then it goes on, it says, but the he that knows the mind of the Spirit makes intercession for us according to the will of God. And then it says, all things work together for good to them who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Not unless you prayed. And if you stay teachable, then you can be blessed and all things will work to good. So, receive with meekness the engrafted word. You know, we're not talking about receiving like the game of football and, you know, receivers. But there are a lot of parallels. So I look at that, you know, a good receiver has to possess multiple skills. You know, you go out for football and the quarterback is a talented guy and running backs are talented guys. And the, receiver, the receivers really catching those passes the way they do, that is quite a talent. It takes a lot of work to become a good receiver. Good receivers have to be uh, able to have visual contact with the ball kind of out of the back of their head. They kind of got to have just this sixth sense about where that ball is and where they need to be. And, they, you know, of course they got to have, you know, the visual, good eyes to see and to judge the height of the ball and where it's going to come down and just seeing the ball. They got to have good eyes. And of course, they've got to have speed and they've got to have agility. 
Of course, they've got to have spatial judgment. You know, how close they are to the person, how close they are to the ball coming, how close they are to the goal line, how close they are to the not running out of bounds. They've got to be spatially know right where they are in relationship to everything that's pertinent to them running and making a touchdown. They've got to have a vertical leaping ability. They've got to be able to jump high and catch the balls. They've got to be able to fake out and, and be strategic in the way that they fake out the opponent. They've got to have good hands, and when the ball comes to them, they've got to be able to catch the silly thing above all else. In other words, it doesn't just happen being receptive, being a receiver, being able to uh, take the good, get the goods and deliver and do what you're supposed to do with it. Uh, and a lot of people think it's just going to happen, like, uh, you know, I'm just waiting on God. Well, maybe he's waiting on you, you know, uh, to, to get ready to receive it. You know, the, the same is true when it comes to receiving from God. We must develop some skills. It doesn't just happen. You know, years ago, we had a satellite receiver, and we, we talked about that before as, a, as an analogy. But I remember ours quit working one time. And we had a repairman come, and I was really kind of amazed uh, how much adjustments he had to do to get it right for the receiver to work well. I mean, there was a lot of adjusting. The dish had to be adjusted. There were certain internal things that had to be adjusted. And he had to do all these adjustments. You know, you might have, you might have to do some adjustments to get so your receiving works right. Because we're a fine-tuned creature spiritually. And sometimes for us to be able to receive what God has for us, we may have to make some adjustments and some changes. Turn with me... Uh, you know, as you read James one twenty one, I want to go there, and I'm going to read it out of this uh, 26 translations, uh, but it talks about the person who is receiving with meekness. It just says some really interesting things, some interesting ways in this. All right, we're going to begin there in the second part, uh, and uh, 22. But be ye doers of the word. Keep on obeying this message. Act on the word. Put the message into practice. Do not merely listen to it. Instead of merely listening to it, deceiving your own selves, diluting. For that would be misleading, to mislead yourself. Then it says, for if I may be, for, excuse me, if, for if any be a hearer of the word, for when you and anyone listens to it, and not a doer, and does not practice it, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in the glass. He is like a man looking at his own face in the mirror, carefully looks into uh, his own mirror, who glances at his natural face. For beholding himself, and goeth away, for he thoroughly observes himself, and goes off. And he beholds himself, and has gone away. He glances at himself, and goes away. And straightway forgetteth, and he forgets, immediately forgets, in a short time he has no memory of what, man, what manner of man he was, what he was like, one translation says, what he looked like, what kind of person he was. But whoso looketh into the law, looks, care, looks carefully into the law, looks closely into the perfect law of liberty, and com- continues therein, perseveres, keeps on looking, 
He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. You know, there's just so many things as you look at that, how it says over and over in many different ways that we've got to be able to receive the word. And the proof that you've received it is if you see yourself doing it. The only way that you'll ever know if you receive the word is if you do it. Otherwise, you're not good at receiving the word. You haven't developed that skill yet. You know, doing the word is so many things. And, and, and we, we've got to understand that if we're not receiving doing the word, we're, we're living in an alternate lifestyle that isn't in line with Scripture. And yes, we're growing, and there's grace, and, and, and we know that. But as we look at this, you can turn over, and James talks a lot about this. He, he talks about two different things that get received, two different types of wisdom. James 13, excuse me, I'm sorry, James 3, 17. Let's go there quickly. It says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated. One translation says, easily persuaded. Are you easily persuaded? See, stubborn, any person who is stubborn is, and the sin of stubbornness is as idolatry and witchcraft. You've made yourself God when you're stubborn instead of obeying God. But it says this, and I like this. It says, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then easily entreated. Peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated. Wow. Easily persuaded. When you sit in, in church and you hear the word of God, are you easily persuaded to do what God wants you to do? We need to be easily persuaded. Not resistant. Not, not in any way. But look what it says here in verses 15 and 16. It says, this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For envying and strife is there is confusion in every evil work. And as you look at that type, it's, it's, it's a contrast. It's not receiving wisdom from above, but it's conflict. It's conflict because it doesn't want to receive from anybody. It doesn't want to listen to truth. It doesn't want to uh, obey. And that's that relativistic, that postmodern, that syncretistic mindset where people make themselves Lord and they're going to make their homemade brew of religion. Uh, they're going to declare themselves right always. They're never going to submit. They're never going to say I'm wrong. They're never going to say I'm sorry. They're never going to be easily entreated. They're never going to say, you know what, I'm going to reject my old way of thinking it's wrong. I'm going to accept what you're saying with the word of God that you're, you're speaking to me. And that, you know, uh, there's not a lot of receiving. You know, the fact that church attendance goes down and down and down and people just come as they feel like it, tells me there's a problem with receptivity. There's a huge problem with receptivity. Not to me, but to God. Well, it, it, it has to do with everything. See, God's going to test our receptivity. And lack of church attendance is, is very indicative of a person's receptivity. They don't like sitting uh, under the word and... And they, and they don't like anything that would correct them. They, they, they don't, people don't want to hear that today. That's old, and that's, that's old-fashioned, and it's, you know, we're, we're above all that now, and, you know, we've heard it all before, and, and nobody's going to tell me, and, and all these things that you hear. But look what it says in 2 Timothy uh, 4 and 2. It says, Herald and preach the word. The preacher has this command from God. Herald, preach the word. Keep your sense of urgency. Stand by. Be at hand and ready, whether the opportunity seems to be favorable 
or unfavorable. Let me tell you something. Sometimes it's unfavorable. Sometimes people don't want to hear. Whether it be convenient or inconvenient. Oh, we wouldn't want to, we wouldn't want to violate the God of our convenience. I mean, heaven forbid. Whether it be welcome or unwelcome. People well, well, some of the things you've said, Pastor Bill, aren't really welcome. <laughs> you just keep that to yourself, you know. Go, go talk to yourself in a mirror or something, you know. We really don't want to hear it. You're all laughing because you must be saying that while I'm preaching. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, for heaven's sakes. Convenient or inconvenient, whether it be welcome or unwelcome. You as a preacher of the word are to show people in what way their lives are wrong. Don't you wish you had my job? My Bible doesn't relate that. Well, this is the Amplified Bible. It goes into more depth as to the meaning. You know, it, that's what it means. Some people where their lives are wrong. Wow. When can, I, when can we retire, honey? I'm thinking, you know, this is like, this is not, just kidding. You as a preacher of the word are to show people in what way their lives are wrong. And convince them. Am I convincing? (laughs) And convince them. Wow. So you didn't know that somebody had that job description. And convince them, rebuking and correcting and warning and urging and encouraging them, being unflagging and inexhaustible in patience and teaching. In other words, you just got to keep doing it. And it's not fun, but it's necessary because I have to protect your minds. And you've got to learn to protect your own minds. And the way you do that is by washing your mind with the word of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Keeping it clean with the word of God and keep hearing the word of God. Keep subjecting yourself to strong preaching. Because see, right? After that, it says the time will come where they'll not endure sound doctrine. They'll be turned unto fables after their own lusts. Did you know people will get an appetite for certain preaching that okays their lusts? Give me some of that old-time religion that goes clear back to the heathens, you know, know, paganism. Give me some of that old-time religion, paganism, not Christianity. That's what some people want. They, they, They will heap up teachers. And, 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 you know, right now it's heap up the, the, the hyper-grace teachers that you know, do anything you want. Sanctification, oh, for kind of, that's completely God's job. You have nothing to do with it. My Bible says we're to pursue holiness. My Bible says we're to purge and cleanse ourselves. Our, my Bible says that if we're going to be a vessel of gold and silver instead of, you know, clay and wood, that we've got to purge and we've got to cleanse ourselves and work out our salvation daily with fear and trembling. But there's a message out there now. It's like anything that you would try to add to that is just works. Let me tell you something. That's about the stupidest thing I've ever heard. 
It is a cooperation and an obedience to the word of God to pursue holiness. It is not an attempt to get, have a works mentality and, and get, win your salvation with the works. We all know we're not going to be saved by our works, but you've got to cooperate with God. Can I get an amen? You've got you know, you to choose not, you know, you do have free will, and you've got to choose not to do certain things. So anyway, we continuously are going to have to understand that we need to show ourselves where we're wrong in the Word. We need to let the Holy Spirit show us where we're wrong in the Word, you know, just the Word itself, the Spirit, and even the preaching that we sit under. Show, if you're not sitting under preaching that shows you where your life is wrong, then what on earth are you doing? Paying somebody to pet you? Well, you can go down to the dog shop and do that. We need to constantly be scrutinizing ourselves. And for goodness sake, that's what produces excellence. Scrutiny produces excellence, not lazy undisciplinedness. That's what a lot of people want today. They they want this no no challenge church. Make me feel good church. But I look in the scriptures, and believe me, I I scrutinize the scriptures, I go through them very thoroughly. And I can't find any place where I'm to preach anything that just makes you feel good. I can't find a single verse of scripture that tells me to do that. Not one. But I can find a whole bunch of scriptures that tells me to be like a parent and to be like a coach and to put you to the test. How many of you want to be put to the test? Cause you to endure make you better, sharpen you. It's not iron dulls iron. It's iron sharpens iron. Somebody say amen. amen. You know, you, you go home and watch, watch something funny if you just want, it, want something to feel good. And, and I, I give you permission, go do it, that's fine. I mean, we should, we should feel good about church because it's a deep feel good that I'm being improved and I'm becoming better. Amen. It's deeper than this cheap, shallow, knothead level uh, feel good. You, 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 ought to, you, know, you don't feel good because somebody gave you 50 bucks because you're on welfare. You feel good after you work a hard 40 hours a week job and you earn $50 an hour. Amen. You don't feel good because you handed in a D paper. You feel good when it comes back and you got an A plus written on it. Good and well done, thou faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Good and well done, thou faithful servant. Enter into the misery because it worked you too hard. And now you've got an attitude towards the God who made you work so hard. No, you enter into the joy of the Lord, all discipline. It says, he who lacks discipline despises himself. He who lacks discipline despises himself. See, that's why the Bible calls us disciplined ones or disciples. Because when you're a disciple, you'll do the opposite of despise yourself. Your self-esteem will go through the roof and you'll have confidence. Somebody say amen. amen. The righteous are as bold as a lion, but the wicked flee when no man pursues. They're paranoid. When nobody pursues, that's paranoia. Which would you rather be? How many of you want to be a disciplined spiritual athlete? 
and run the race that's set before you. Endeavor to win the race. Be like Jesus who for the joy that was set before him ran the race and had discipline in his life. You ought to love discipline. You ought to embrace discipline. You ought to give your kids discipline. It's the greatest thing that you can ever impart to your children. And it comes by receiving the word of God. It comes by receiving truth about yourself. Now, I know this isn't popular. I I know this, this doesn't sell down at the guru table. This doesn't sell down at the life coach table. This doesn't sell at the feel-good church, the seeker, the seeker sensitivity seminar, where they tell you to dress it down, dumb it down, and calm it down, and you'll get more people in your church. And I have seen billings for church growth seminars that literally said, dress it down, dumb it down, and calm it down. And your church will grow, guaranteed. And that's what they do. And, it, and they do grow. And they get huge. And they're all about this deep. Maybe a little more shallow than that even. But anyway. <laughs> God will test our receptivity. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew uh, 10, 11 through 13. I'd rather have 12 real disciples than 5,000 uh, who, who ended up leaving Jesus. The multitudes came to get their belly filled and, and a feel good and, and something to talk about with their neighbor. But when it came to standing up for Jesus, there was only 120 left standing. See, the multitudes came because they wanted to get something. And in John 6, 66, isn't that interesting numerically, 666? It says many of his disciples left him. Read it. Get your Bible out. Read it. Open it up. John 6, 66, many of his disciples left him. Well, 5,000 people would show up, and that's just the men. When you add the ladies and the four children, which was the average size of the Jewish family, you got more like 20-some thousand people, down to 120. Boy, that's a Gideon revival. But you see, what you've got to understand is how willing are you to receive? They said, we can't receive this. Drink my blood and eat my flesh, Jesus. Goodbye. We're out of here. See, receptivity. How many are there? Matthew 10. Quickly turn there. We're going to look at how receptive are you. How much can you receive? It's, it's very indicative of our maturity level. Matthew 10, verses, I'll read it, 11 through 13. It says this. And into whatever city or town you shall enter, inquire who is worthy. And there abide till you go thence. Wow. There was a precursor, and one of the requirements is who's worthy. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever shall not receive. Everybody say receive. Everybody circle that word receive. Receive you nor hear your words. So you're receiving the person and the message. The preacher and the words are the word of God. Receive you nor hear your words. You nor your words. You nor your words. There has to be a receptivity to the preacher and the preaching. God requires it. He absolutely requires it. And there's a huge penalty to pay, and he will test you on this. God will test you. 
And whoever shall not hear, not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust from your feet. For verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah. He puts those people below the Sodomites. That's a lower tier than the Sodomites. Those who don't receive the man of God or the word of God. I'm talking about your ability to receive tonight. How good are you at receiving? How good are you at receiving? Do you need some work on that? Be, it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. God will test you on this. You'll be judged for this. And church attendance tells the story about receptivity. Don't tell me you're receptive when you're sitting home watching television. You're receiving something else. Somebody say amen. Amen. You see, why is that? Because verse 40, you just go down the chapter. The chapters always explain themselves. Why is that that God would be so harsh on that? Because in verse 40 it says, He that receiveth you receiveth me. When you receive the preacher or you receive the apostles and the disciples, you're really receiving Jesus. He that receiveth you receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receives him that sent me. That's God Almighty. He that receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. So, receptivity goes way beyond. It starts out with the word of God. It goes to the preacher. But really, it's a rejection of Jesus and God the Father when you don't receive, when you're not good at receiving. So, you know, Jesus' hometown wasn't very good at receiving. Jesus went there and he preached and he could do no mighty works there. God says, if you, uh, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who do not honor me, I will lightly esteem. God is a big honor guy. Say, everybody say it. God's a big honor guy. He's into honor. There's a lot of dishonorable young people. They, have, they just have a, an edge of dishonor on them all the time. They don't honor the house of God. They don't honor the man of God. They don't honor the word of God. They don't honor spiritual things. They don't honor consecratory things. Uh, they, they don't honor a lot of things. They don't honor uh, sacred things. They, they, there's just not an honor on them, and they need to learn that. But God's an honor guy. And Jesus went his hometown town, and because a prophet is not without honor, in other words, the only place a prophet doesn't get any honor is in his hometown. After about 10 years, the only place a preacher doesn't get any honor is in his home church. Somebody say amen. amen. Happens all the time. Familiarity breeds contempt. And so here's the deal. God will judge us on how we honor those things. And Jesus could not do any... It didn't say he would not. It says he could not do anything in his hometown because of their lack of honor, which is indicative of their receptivity, according to these verses I just shared with you, because he says, receive them and receive their word, and he that doesn't receive you is really not receiving me. He's really not receiving God. That's the real problem. That's why nobody gets healed in Jesus' hometown. Because they weren't good at receiving. So you've got to choose to be a receiver. You've got to be fine-tuned to be a receiver. You don't, catch, you don't run down the field and catch footballs on accident. It's very intentional and takes a lot of work to get good at that. Somebody say amen. It's not easy. 
to be a good receiver. Matter of fact, it's probably more work than you'll ever understand. But receiving is the clear litmus test between a wise person and a fool. Receptivity will define you. Some people, they aren't smart enough to, to, know, to understand that, but it will define you to those who know the Bible. It will define who you really are. It will expose you. It will reveal you. Receptivity will. Proverbs 9, 7 through 10. Everybody turn there quickly. This is, these are powerful scriptures that will sharpen you. Anybody feeling sharpened tonight? The blade's pretty sharp. The, sword, the, the dual-edged sword is pretty sharp tonight. Boy, I tell you what, it produces great results. It will produce. Dead, dull, dumbed-down blades don't produce any results, folks. I can pet you with a butter knife or I can slice you good with a razor blade. And we'll surge, we'll take out, we'll take the cancer out and heal and sew you back up and you'll be healed and better. If I pet you with a butter knife, you're just going to die a slow death of cancer. Because a lot of your thinking is cancerous. Everybody's thinking is cancerous and it needs to be cut out. Can I get an amen? amen. So we, we've got to be sharp people in these days because our enemies are very sharp. They, you know, Jesus said this. It says that the children of the world are wiser than the children of the kingdom. Anybody notice that? A lot of the children of the world are wiser than the children of the kingdom. I mean, Islam is growing like wild in America. Christianity isn't. Somebody's showing themselves smarter than the opposition. And so we need to smarten up. We need to sharpen up. Proverbs 9, 7 through 10. It says, he that reproveth a scorner getteth to himself shame. And you can even feel that from a pulpit. You can feel if, if something is reproving and, 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 and eyes begin to roll, watches start going up. Yawns begin to happen, arms begin to fold, faces begin to... Let me tell you something, you can feel it from the pulpit. Reprove a scorner and getteth himself shame, and he that rebuketh a wicked man getteth himself a blot. Reprove not a scorner, lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man and he'll love you. There's people that are just... Get, bring it on, Pastor Bill. Bring it on. I like getting smarter. I'm going to send you down to the church where they'll lower your IQ maybe, but... But in this church, you're going to be forced to come up. Amen. amen. Somebody say amen. amen. Let, let, let's, get some, let's get some grittiness to us. Let, let's get some uh, mojo or whatever they call it. I don't know. Let, let, let's be Christians with an attitude for good. Amen? amen? Let's not be deadbeats. Give instruction to a wise man. Yo! Yeah. And he will yet be wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. Amen. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. Wow. And for by me thy days shall be multiplied, and the years of thy life shall be increased. You'll live longer. Yes. Righteous people live longer. And it does work. Let me tell you something. Proverbs 1.7 and then, you, you, you know, you go over here and, it, you know, Proverbs is just full of these, these statements where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. They absolutely hate it. 
and they'll cop an attitude. They'll scorn. They'll, they'll, they'll mock. They'll, 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 they'll talk about you as soon as they get out of the building. They'll, thank God we don't have people like that. But I'm telling you, I've been around people like that. It's not good. See, fool is, is, def, is defined as the one who doesn't receive from God. Or by God's channels, which is his word in his preachers. Be, be defined as a wise person tonight. Can I get an amen? Define yourself. And don't, you know, let others speak well of you, not yourself. Let your lifestyle speak well of you, not yourself. Let yourself be known as one who receives and loves to receive and is proud and excited about receiving the word of God and values the word of God, places high the word of God, exalts the word of God, and sees value in the word of God and, and having receptivity to it. And you will define yourself as a wise person. Amen. See, some wrong beliefs that fools are people who won't receive exist. They will master the truth and wisdom and knowledge and understanding on their terms, their way. See, here, here's the kicker. Now, now, if you haven't listened to anything up to this point, listen to this point. The foolish person, he's not against wisdom. He wants to be smart. How many of you know the most foolish person wants to be smart? They don't want to pay the price. They don't want to humble themselves. They don't want to receive with teachability and humility the word of God. Remember what the, we started out, James 1.20. It says, receive with meekness, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. There's a teachability factor. Let me tell you something. If just that's wrong, God's not going to give you one ounce of revelation. God will let your circumstances spank you all the days of your life. That's why he says receive with meekness. The way you receive it makes the difference whether you're going to receive it. Because the cocky, wise, arrogant, worldly man, I'm going to prove this with a ton of scriptures here in just a second, who thinks he can get wisdom on his terms, his way, is so wrong. He will never receive it. How many of you know in 2 Timothy it says that they turn away from such men that are ever learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. You know, there's some people that are going to get wise, they're going to get smart, they're going to get intellectual, they're going to be know-it-alls, but it's going to be on their terms, their way, and it's not going to be on God's terms. But they can be forever learning and never come to the knowledge of the truth. That tells me there has to be a submitted heart. It isn't about acquiring knowledge. It's not about acquiring knowledge. It's about bowing the knee to Jesus Christ. It's about bowing the knee to his way and his will. And his way is, is to be a, a teachable person. And it isn't that you're going to master God. It's that God will reveal it to you when your attitude gets right. It is not your terms when I master God because I've learned so much and I'm so smart. And then I'm going to know like God knows. No, you're not. You're going to walk in darkness and deception, and God will take away. He'll hide himself from you, it says in Isaiah. He'll let darkness come upon you, it says in Thessalonians. He'll turn you over to a, judge, a judgeless or a, a reprobate mind, it says in the book of Romans. And you can profess to be wise, and he'll let you turn into a fool until you have receiving with meekness and teachability and moldability the word of God. Humility, humbleness, having the right attitude and approaching God. See, in Ecclesiastes, you know, I, I just read it, it says that they were forever learning. Everybody say forever learning. You know, there's the, you know, there's the, the big smart guys out there that are you know, going to tell everybody the way it is. Here's another one. And further by these, my son, be admonished, the making of many books, there is no end. 
And much study is a weariness to the flesh. But let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. How many of you know there's millions and millions of books being written every day? How many of you know there's people that are ever learning and getting Ph.D. after Ph.D., but never coming to the knowledge of God? It has nothing to do with how much you learn. It's how you learn and how you bow to God concerning understanding wisdom. It doesn't have anything to do with how much you know. You can learn forever and ever and ever, and God's not going to open the spigot of revelation to you. It's when you bow humbly before God. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. And the rudiments of this world are not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him who is the head over all principality and power. Four things that will destroy you. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy, through vain um, deceit, tradition of men, and after the rudiments of this world. It will spoil you. You know, there's people who think, well, my traditions and all my knowledge and all that. God says it'll ruin you. If you try to do this, like, I'm, gonna, I'm going to understand this instead of receiving with meekness the engrafted word. There's a difference. I'm going to get it or God's going to let me receive it. Paul said something very, very interesting. 2 Corinthians 11.3, everybody turn there quickly. Paul's greatest concern wasn't that somebody might be too big of a simpleton. How many of you know God can sometimes speak to a simpleton more than a big intellectual giant? Let me show you something that Paul had great concerns about concerning the, the Corinthians. It's 2 Corinthians. This is a very profound truth right here. 2 Corinthians, it says... But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Your mind would be corrupted from the simplicity. Not by the simplicity, be corrupted from the simplicity. That's what Paul was worried about. That's what Paul had a concern about is the simple receiving with humbleness, receiving with humility, receiving with a childlike simplicity, the receptivity of a child sitting under the pastor, sitting under the word of God, sitting and listening, sitting and being transformed. His concern is that we would depart from simplicity of the gospel. How many know the gospel is a simple thing? It's yet it's a very profound thing. And its profundity is really shrouded in its simplicity. Let me say that again. Its profundity is really shrouded and masked and hidden in its simplicity. It's very, very profound. God's simplicity transcends man's greatest sophistication. 1 Corinthians 1. Let's, let's go there to 1 Corinthians and God says some things about this. He says some very profound things about this. He says over there in 1 Corinthians 1, 18 through 21, he says it like this. He says, For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. 
Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after this, the wisdom of God, by, of God, the worldly by wisdom knew not God. It displeased God that by, I mean, excuse me, it pleased God that by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. God is not interested in us getting our own knowledge. He's interested in a moldable, humble, contrite, meek, teachable spirit coming before him and honoring him, honoring those who he has sent and having a receptivity to the word and to the one bringing the word to open up your heart and he wants to reveal you more than you'll ever be able to take in. How many of you believe that tonight? Amen. Amen. Romans, it says, professing to be wise, they became fools. He says, they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, and he turned them over to a reprobate mind to do that which was not convenient. They became perverts. They thought they had become wise, but in actuality, they became perverts. That's what, that's what the whole book of the first chapter of Romans is all about. He turned them over to filthy vileness because they were so smart. And you can look throughout history. Whenever society gets very sophisticated, homosexuality begins to emerge. And the most simple to understand things become the most confused things ever. The most obvious becomes obscure to people who can't understand the most obvious thing. To me, to understand that God made a man and a woman and they're different, and that's the ones that are supposed to come together, that is the simplest thing in the world for me to understand. That is so simple. It's so simple, I would have to try really hard to make it difficult. I'd almost have to have a PhD to figure out a way to make it difficult to understand. Yeah, I mean, that really takes some figuring. That really takes some thought. That really takes some mental gymnastics to confuse that. And yet in our culture today, it's just like, nobody gets it. i tell you something. Professing to be wise, they become fools. And God always lets it emerge in the most fundamental the first, the first book of the Bible, the first story of the Bible is about a marriage, and the last story of the Bible is about a marriage. And mankind doesn't get it because they've rejected the Bible. Received with meekness, being after word. Because I'm going to finish with this scripture. This is one of the most frightening scriptures in the Bible uh, concerning about our willingness to receive. Now, I keep using the word receive because that's the word I keep seeing in the Bible. How good are you at receiving? Because let me tell you something. Receiving is a choice. Receiving is a choice that you make. Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And when I see this word keeps coming up, it keeps coming up, keeps coming up, it keeps coming up. It's about our free will. It's about our receptivity. It's about our intentionality to do this. It's about our humility. It's about our submission to God. It's about us making God's word paramount in our life. And it says there in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, unrighteousness makes you deceivable. Unrighteousness causes deceivableness. Everybody say that with me. Unrighteousness causes deceivableness. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they received, everybody circle that word received, 
in your Bible. Because they received not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them a strong delusion that they should believe a lie. You better, you better know receiving is important, folks. And the way that you do it. You better know that's important stuff. Because they receive not the love of the truth. There's always people that are going to cop the attitude and they're not going to receive from anybody. Nobody's going to tell me nothing. Let me tell you something. If you see that in yourself, you better eradicate it fast. See that in your kids, you better eradicate it fast. This is serious business. Your kid can be turned over to a reprobate mind. You can be turned over to a reprobate mind. Because... They loved not the truth. I absolutely love truth. You're looking at a truth lover. I love truth more than I love my own life. And for this cause, God shall send a strong delusion that, shall, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let me tell you something. It does not get more serious than that. This is why James says, receive with meekness. Consider it an immense privilege that God would even think about revealing to you his deep and profound truths. That is the greatest thing you'll ever receive is those truths that God wants to give to you. And be thankful, be meek, be humble. Know that you can't get it on your own, uh, out of your own strength. You can't get it on your own terms. You have, there's only one way you can come to this thing, and that's bowing your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and bowing your knee to the word of God. Honoring God's word, honoring God's uh, delivery system, honoring the way God wants to bring it to you, honoring that God may be testing you. How many know God does test us? God will test if you're going to honor that person, and he's going to test whether you, whether you obey that word. And if you don't, it's going to be worse than in Sodom and Gomorrah. If you don't love truth and you don't receive truth, you can be turned over to a reprobate mind. And let me tell you something, there's a lot of Christians that portions of their mind are reprobate. Believers who have chosen to believe lies about things who think it's all right to go sleep together. Think it's all right. It's not like, well, we know it's wrong, we shouldn't do it, but you know what? I don't see anything wrong with that, pastor. See, you know, if they said, you know, we know we're in sin, we shouldn't do it, guys, forgive us, we... We're going to try to do better. That's, that's one thing. But there's a lot of believers today that are, that are talking, that are sinning and saying, I don't see anything wrong with that. What's well, in the Bible? But I don't see anything wrong with it. You just exalted yourself to be God. You're exalting yourself over the word? I don't see anything wrong with my attitude. I've got justification for my attitude. Really? It's not what the Bible says. Peace have they that love thy law. Nothing will offend them. Those who are lovers of truth are gladly corrected and rebuked. They're wise and they love it. And they say, bring it on. Give me more. See, we've got to have a love of God's word above all else. Let's stand. We're going to be dismissed. It's time out.